podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics, Omaha, Nebraska. Go. What's up, nerds? This is Rachel, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. Enjoy. With going to Sort of break it down like good. Welcome to episode 51 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 25th, and as always, we're reading your tweets! So don't forget to tweet us at Two-Headed Nerds on the Twitter. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not being forced into reading comics by my co-host so one of us will have the stones to give a bad review, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. Don't be a baby. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not forcing Matt to give negative reviews because I'm afraid my boyfriend, Jeff Johns, will hear me say something not nice about him. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, you will hear reviews of Deadpool 49.1 and Aquaman number 5. Both comics. After that, we'll review 10 comics so fast no good will come of it in the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our astral projections will travel into the mists of the future to discuss two of next week's comics and finally we'll act all cultured and smart we'll review craig thompson's habibi as part of our take a look it's in a book segment but before we get to all that mindless word salad let's poop into a box light it on fire and mail it to the oscar voting committee for completely snubbing ryan gosling and the rest of the cast of drive the best damn movie of last year i might add then we'll talk about this week's big news i never saw it missed it it was too violent for you sweetheart This is a serious episode. Take a deep breath, Star Wars fans. While doing press appearances for the World War II action film Red Tails, Lucasfilm producer Rick McCallum offered a few juicy bits of info regarding the long in development, eagerly awaited, live action Star Wars (laughs) television series. awaited. Let's go cautiously awaited. I had no idea this was even still a thing. Yeah, I thought this was totally shelved. According to McCallum... The series is being developed under the title Star Wars Underworld and will focus on the seedy underbelly of the Star Wars universe. McCallum also revealed that the only thing keeping it from going forward, (laughs) this is so ridiculous, was the series' quote, Hollywood-level budget of $5 million per episode. That is ludicrous. And that 50 unbelievable scripts have already been written. 50? 50. Unbelievable. That's like five years worth of television. Yeah, I mean, really. Well, no, it's two seasons. Oh, uh, well, okay. 24 episodes. It's like 10 years worth of television. <laughs> now, Matt, are you excited for this project? Or would you, it, you think it would be better for Lucasfilm to start making uh, donations to cancer research and weekly $5 million chunks? Every time we get into this talk, I give this speech about how, look, my uncle Star Wars was the greatest guy in the world, and then he got really sick. And <laughs> then he got a, Alzheimer's. And then he said a bunch of things that didn't make any sense and insulted me and died. And I don't like to think of him like that. I like to think of him when he was young and vibrant. I don't care about this anymore. And I, like, I can't get into the cartoon either because there's too much of what I hated about episodes one, two, and three, that's going to be smashed. That well, I can't say it's going to be smashed into this, but I'm afraid it. But will we'll be. probably be smashed. Yeah, into. I mean, if it's good, it's yeah. good, and I'm excited. Great, I'd love to see more and feel better about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's still this like ugly chapter of my life that I have trouble looking back on. But no, I'm not real excited. <laughs> I'm not excited at all. It's very dramatic. And I don't give a crap about the 3D episodes one, two, and three. Sorry, Justin Kozacek. <laughs> Speaking of Hollywood, beloved British actress Jenny Agutter has a yet unknown role in next summer's Avengers movie, and the Logan's Run star may have unintentionally dropped a bomb on fans in an interview with England's Radio Times. When asked about her part in the film, Agutter said she was sworn to secrecy, but 
She did speak about it, her experience on the Avengers set, saying, quote, I felt like a complete child being on big sets. Hey, hey, can't you read that in a British accent? Yeah, I can do my best like Bill Sykes. <laughs> I felt like a complete child. <laughs> being on big sets, a huge parking lot full of Winnebago's. Are you talking, old man? <laughs> and who's taking those Winnebago's, waiting for Joss Whedon to call them in front of the cameras? According to Agatha, Spider-Man! Spider-Man! <laughs> Of course. Spider-Man. This is likely a mistake on the part of Agatar or the Radio Times reporter who probably haven't committed the finer details of Marvel's history to memory, but what if? What if? Is it implausible to think that Marvel has struck a deal with Sony, who owns Spidey's film rights, and how will fans react if the news is true? According to Legend Comics co-owner and Spider-Man superfan Dave DeMarco, quote, if Spider-Man is in the Avengers, you won't be able to hear the end of the movie over the sound of my racking sobs. Joe, what a what a baby. <laughs> <laughs> he loves Spider-Man. I love him too. But this is not happening. It would be joyous. This is not happening. Oh, come on. There is no Wayne Hill. First of all, just you, dream a little, will you? If you want to talk about one corporation that is maybe slightly more profit driven than say Exxon I would say it is Sony (laughs) when it comes to like big Hollywood business these guys they do not care but now Marvel's in bed with Disney they will so what Sony is just as big as Disney. There is no way they're going to share any part of Spider-Man with what if Walt Disney cut this is a mistake. This is an absolute mistake. Well, and listen, I, I read a blog about this. Like, what would Disney have to do to get Spider-Man back? What would they have to do theoretically? What kind of offer would they make? And if you look at the money that Spider-Man has made for Sony so far, we're talking more than like six billion dollars. But we're not worldwide. We're not talking about uh, Marvel getting the rights to Spider-Man back. It's Marvel making a deal with Sony. No way. To to do this in conjunction, what if no way. the up what's what if the Amazing Spider Man is set in Marvel movie continuity? I will go on record right now as saying there is no way in hell this happens. It is not oh, going to happen. It you heard it here first. If this if Spider Man is in the Avengers movie, Matt Bomb, I will cut off will my sh- left arm. Oh, I was just going to say hack shave your off head. My left arm. I was just going to say shave your head, but I guess if you want to get, I'll violent. shave my head. I don't care, and then I'll hack off my left arm. Wow. And finally, BleedingCool.com has spent the... It's all rumors this week, folks. I know. Listen, it's a slow news week, okay? Nobody died. Nothing exciting happened. Not Fine. that we get excited when people die. Right. Also, I'm sorry I made fun of Alzheimer's earlier. And black people. Ble- I did not. You cut that out. <laughs> BleedingCool.com has spent the past couple of months following rumors of the true identity of Marcus Johnson, the mysterious character introduced in the Battle Scars miniseries. According to Bleeding Cool's theory, Johnson will be revealed to be the illegitimate son of Nick Fury. Boo. And will take, wait for it, and will take up his father's role as the new Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. when Battle Scars ends in March. This, of course, would mean that the Marvel Universe would have a black Nick Fury running around just in time for the Avengers movie in May. Battle Scars has been pretty light on major revelations so far, but there have been references to the longevity of Johnson's biological father, and the villainous Scorpio, who was originally Nick Fury's younger brother, has been watching from the sidelines. Yes. To top it all off, we have the cover to Battle Scars number six, which features a defiant Marcus Johnson sporting a grisly wound over his left eye, just like Papa. Now, 
Matt, I, I, it's all speculation, but I hate it. If I this is how it, it goes down, it's the dumbest thing in the when world. When they, when they do, when they make decisions based on marketing first and storytelling second, it never works yeah. for me. Look, I'm already mad that Hawkeye is wearing his movie. The movie outfit. costume. It's, it's dumb. the worst. I don't want it. It's dumb. If they want us to believe that not only does Nick have an illegitimate son, but Wait, I'm fine with that. A, a, he has an illegitimate son. <laughs> B, he's black. C, he, he's missing an eye. You know, like, come on. This is getting a little close. Oh, yeah. To like, make, well, how can we make him Samuel Jackson without making, making him Samuel right, Jackson? Right, 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 right. What a coincidence. And, uh, this isn't about the skin color of the character. No, it's not, it has or nothing to do with that. Even really something as innocuous as putting a character in a different costume. But it's like, oh, we're going to give Spider-Man organic web shooters yeah, because just, that's what's in the movie, it's right? It's so forced. It's so forced and dumb. And if they really think that people are going to walk out of the Avengers movie and go, oh my God, I need a comic book in my hands right now. And they run to their comic shop and they're given this very high quality Avengers story that is out of the time because it will be. And they go, wait a minute, who is this white guy that's supposed to be Nick Fury? I refuse to read this. <laughs> right. I have no interest, you know. I mean, what and, would, and if they really need that, guess what? Ultimate Nick Fury is Samuel Jackson. Yeah, I there already have go. a book. I already have a book to give them that and stars I, Samuel Jackson. And I Jackson like as it Nick Fury. there. It works. I'm fine yeah. with it, you know. We don't need to do it in both. It's it, dumb. It's cynical and it's obvious and I think for long-term fans, speaking as a long-term fan, it is insulting. It's insulting it is. because I know now and I always knew it, but when they rub it in my face that it's money that steers the course of the stories, I'm I hate it. Boo Marvel. Boo. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where DJ and I have posted an open letter to our illegitimate father, telling him we forgive him for abandoning us, and it's time to reconnect. You were never a father to us, but we forgive you, Junkyard Dog. I love you, JYD. We, we knew because we both had thump written on our diapers. <laughs> Before we move along, Joe Patrick, read us a tweet. Our first tweet comes from K. Gerard, who wanted us to know... This is Matt's wife, by the way. I invented a sweet fight move... Who refuses to change her name for Twitter for some reason. <laughs> I, she's ashamed of you. I invented a sweet fight move, a Bieber smack, followed by a sloth claw. <laughs> I feel that Mudman, a.k.a. The Thing, could rock that combo. There you go. It, it, we, were, we were at home one night watching the old school Fantastic Four cartoon. I was quizzing her. I was like, what's his name? She goes, uh, Mudman. I was like, what? <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> and once again, it's review time. And as always, DJ and I had a pants-off dance-off to decide who <laughs> went first. And I was so shaken by Joey's furious moves, I had to concede. It was disgusting. Joey. Take it away. Don't challenge me. <laughs> Wait, did you just compliment me and then slap me in yes, my face? Yes, I did. Oh, your, your moves were furious. They were too real. I reviewed Aquaman 5. The dude has no mercy, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it the dude has got no mercy. The dude has got no mercy, right? The dude has got no mercy. I reviewed Aquaman number 5, written by Jeff Johns, with art by Ivan Rice, Joe Prado, and Eber Ferreira. Uh, this one's colored by Rod Rice, who, you know, I like to assume is probably related. Here's your solicit. <clears throat> Aquaman has been left for dead in the middle of the desert, 
But how did the king of Atlantis find himself marooned in such a hellish environment? What a maroon. I know. As Aquaman struggles to survive impossible odds, what extreme measures will he resort to in order to stay alive? So here we've got Aquaman struggling to deal with his actions in the previous story arc. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but he he made a life or death decision that uh, did not turn out well for a large number of... Uh, beings we already spoiled it we were we Did talked we? about it and we oh he totally it. like ended us whole species <laughs> yeah and it was great it, it was, was like, and it was we great. talked about him having to make a decision that we've never seen that character make before it's true it's true uh and now an artifact recovered from the trench sets him on the path to discovering the true secret of atlantis's fate this issue starts in the middle of the action and then uses periodic flashbacks to fill in the gaps of the story and that you know that's a storytelling device that is well worn, but I think John's uses it really well here. It is definitely one of John's sharpest tools in his shed. He's <laughs> using it quite a bit now. But you know, you, you've got to agree. He's good with it. it Twenty works. pages of Aquaman wandering in the desert would probably not. Oh, have been very I mean, of course, he uses this method to switch from scene to scene, and it keeps the story moving at a good pace. I do like that this version of Aquaman is a man of few words. He speaks when spoken to. He says what needs to be said. He's not silent, he's but not, he's also not. He doesn't banter. He's or also not make as small talk. Yeah, he's not as Shakespearean as they kind of used yeah, to write him. And he I doesn't like that. monologue. He sounds like a guy, right? And I, I, this take on the character, he so he's kind of like an in between. He's also not Joe Sixpack. I should. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of like an in between the kind of happy go lucky Aquaman of the past and the Peter David bearded grizzly Aquaman. He's kind of a, a happy medium there. There is still in this issue the tiniest hint of that kind of cutesy, no one really knows what Aquaman can do, and they think he's kind of a joke, dialogue that Johns has been leaning on. I like it. I liked it at first. I I liked it in the first issue, and it's gotten progressively less each issue. I wouldn't like it in every issue. No, and Yeah, they're not doing it over and over again, but I do like that everyone is learning about Aquaman with us. Well, yes. Because we're learning as well, like in this relaunch Aquaman. That's exactly my point. In this case, it's doing more to clue the reader in on something that they might not know about Aquaman. Right, it's a great device. He's got enhanced hearing. Yeah. And so it's just a brief moment, and Johns has dialed it back, which I appreciate. The art is... Amazing! It's amazing. Yeah. Ivan Rice is a monster. Yeah, uh, and I, I know- still feel guilty for not including him in my like best artists of last year. You know, and and I just it just it washed over. It blew right past me. I think me people because, take him for granted. Yeah, I do. I take him for granted because he's always top notch. I don't even think about it when I buy a book with his name on it. I just know it's going to be great. Right, and I know that people respect his work. We certainly do. But I feel that his name should be mentioned in the same breath as the greatest in the industry. And I think it's because it's because he's reliable. He's old yeah. reliable. He's a workhorse. He shows man. up. He puts out the best, and he's always there. It's not like oh, every six months we get something really beautiful from J. H. Williams the third, right? Or like a different inker takes over Rice's stuff, and it kind of shows. No, and no. You go, Well, what and the? and speaking to that, there is an inking shift. There are two inkers listed. I couldn't spot it. I didn't even notice. Um, it could be, there is a scene where Aquaman is hallucinating, so the second inker, Ferreira, may have just contributed to that uh, scene to make it stand apart from Prado's work. But I, I think if you give Ivan Rice another decade, he'll be a John Byrne or George Perez level legend. He is definitely on his way, if comic books are still around in a decade. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wrote that down, but yeah. then I felt bad and I didn't. Yeah, well, we all know. <laughs> 
Uh, and Rod Rice threw in some wonderful colors. The book is visually flawless. So if you have not been reading Aquaman or if you think the character is boring or one note, you are wrong. You're just wrong. Absolutely. Uh, Johns and Rice are putting out one of the best books of the New 52. I highly, 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 strongly urge all of you to give this title a try. Jump on with number five. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. This book has been one easily one of the best of the relaunch. I knew it was going to be good, but it almost shows... I think Johns really cares, and you can see that he's putting it into this character. He's really working on it. And I wonder, and we'll get to it in a little bit here, if that's part of what is taken away from some of the other books he's written a little bit. I Could don't be. know. Could be. But I totally agree. Strong buy it yep, here. Same here. Strong buy it. It was wonderful. Matt, what do you got for us this week? <clears throat> well, this week, Joe forced me to read and review Deadpool 49.1. You want to hear a funny story? <sighs> I totally forgot to read this comic. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> After making me read it. Okay, I have this. Okay, who I, did it? First of all, I should say this is written by Daniel Way with art by John McRae. Both are guys that I have liked before. I've liked what Daniel Way has written, and I love really? John McRae's Hitman. You like what Daniel Way Daniel Way has done some good stuff. He really has. He's. I'm not going to say there's anything that was just totally awful that he's done that turned me off. I've never totally loved anything he's done, but he had some quality stuff. Um, Colors here were by Veronica Gandini as well, and I should mention that because McCray and Gandini worked very well together. I have what can only be described as a complicated relationship with Deadpool. (laughs) Deadpool was created by Rob Liefeld years ago in the pages of New Mutants 98. It was the 90s. It was the 90s. Everyone's flies were buttoned. And at that time, Deadpool was pretty much another one of Liefeld's cool looking empty costumes he said some tough stuff he had swords he had guns there really wasn't much personality at all later on mark wade and joe kelly joe kelly i'm um, pardon me fabian nicesia and mark wade did limited series they did the volume one and volume two both yeah. of which were fantastic that started to flesh this character out and then joe kelly and later christopher priest were working on a series a deadpool series that goes down as one of my favorite superhero series ever written. Joe Kelly's Deadpool is one of my favorite runs of all time. This is really where the Merc with a Mouth idea, which is what they call him, kind of came into play, and he became a comedian. But at that time, Deadpool was funny, fun to read, and still very human. And that's what was important. That's what I loved about the character. Not only was he funny, but he was good at his job. Since then, Daniel Way has taken Deadpool down a very different road. In this issue... This is the setup for next month's dead event. And they're basically the point one initiative was to give readers a chance to jump on. And this is Deadpool telling his epic up until now to catch you up. But instead of just flashing back, they did a musical where and there's and there's actually music on the Web that you can listen to while you read the comic. Yeah, we have Daniel Way along with some of his friends, setting, writing the music. And I, I swear to God, we'll have links on our Facebook page if you want to sing along. But <laughs> And why wouldn't you really? Yeah. Deadpool helps readers catch up on his saga to the tune of Naughty by Nature's OPP, YouTube sensation Tazon Day's Chocolate Rain, Britney Spears' Hit Me Baby One More Time, and The Misfits' Last Caress. Now, of course, Waze cleverly changed the lyrics to tell Deadpool's story, and I have to admit, while DJ and I listened to the first track at the shop yesterday, I did chuckle a little bit. But when I actually read the comic, 
I remembered exactly why I stopped reading Way's Deadpool. Deadpool used to be funny and good at his job. Now he's more like Inspector Gadget with a multiple personality disorder. <laughs> it's it just Deadpool has become to anti-heroes what the insane clown posse is to rap. Ridiculous, slapstick, immature, and very easy to ignore because of it. There's just, uh, there's no humanity here. And I remember in Joe Kelly's run when Deadpool was in love with Siren. Oh, I love that. It was so well done because, like, he actually found himself caring about her. And I cared about, she kind of liked him, but they knew the relationship would never work because he's a terrible person. He's a murderer. The, the thing the thing with Deadpool, with Joe Kelly's Deadpool, and he wasn't the one that originated the idea, no, he but just, he fleshed it out the most. He took it to the nth degree. Is that Deadpool was really messed up inside, and in, and but he wasn't insane. He no. knew he was broken, and he knew that he was unfit for human companionship. And he was hiding behind this ridiculous sense of humor. And he was trying to be better. Right. He was still a mercenary. He was still doing bad things, but he he strived for something better. And in every interpretation of Deadpool sense, they've practically just thrown that away. Yeah, it's just Bugs Bunny with guns now. It's yeah, totally yeah. insane. It's like cross-dressing fart humor. You know, and maybe I'm just missing this. Maybe this isn't geared to me. If I'm wrong, email us and tell me. Tell me what I'm wrong about. Yeah, sell us on it. But I don't care about this Deadpool at all. And it's just this one-note wackiness. I just don't think there's any coming back for this character at this point. And I really do. I hope Dead kills him. I hope Dead kills this incarnation of this character and we can get back to the one that I enjoyed. But this is so one-note and just immature and kind of stupid. And I just don't care. And this didn't work at all. It was very clever what they did, but I don't care. It's like the future, it's like the post uh, Joe Kelly, Christopher Priest writers and editors said, oh, what people really love about Deadpool are the jokes and the guns. Right. The jokes and the violence and amp that up to the nth degree. But what I loved was his quest to heal his broken life. Right. And maybe that makes him less interesting to some people. But he was human. But this is completely uninteresting. Yeah, it's just, it's sophomoric and it's boring and it's one note and I don't care. You know, like, there's a reason, I love the Three Stooges, there's a reason why I don't watch them anymore. I grew up, you know, mm. I'm sorry. Harsh. I know. Sorry, Deadpool fans. So I gotta give this one a leave it. And I'm sorry to do that John McRae, because I really do like that guy. And I and it, his art works here, where they're kind of doing the funny superhero thing, but that's really the only time that I want it to work. Well, and you know, you know what? There's a There's a glowing recommendation for you. If you are a fan of Deadpool... Give Hitman a try. Absolutely. Give uh, Garth Ennis and John McRae's Hitman a try. another character Garth because Ennis wrote with a sense of humor. It was very similar to what I loved about Deadpool, minus the more crazy elements. He he was it was chock full of humanity, and it was still funny and right. violent, and still an intelligent book to read. Still yeah. well written, not just joke, joke, dead person, fart joke. You know, I mean, like I'm sorry, it, it's just too one note for me. I don't care about this. I'm ready for him to go away. Leave it. So that is a buy it for Aquaman number five and a leave it for Deadpool 49.1. A lone leave it because Joe didn't read it. Of course, we want to know a what you thought. lonely leave it. <laughs> we want to know what you thought of these comics. Hit us up on our Facebook page and let us know how sophomoric and immature our opinions really are. Fart joke. Joe Patrick, tweet at me. 
This next tweet comes from my buddy in Iowa, Bavarian Aaron, owner hey. of Alter Ego Comics in Marion, hey, Iowa. Aaron for a while. That's right. I she, she wants there. to. She says, "Hey, how about that new Oni logo? Did you see it? I did see it. Oni Press unveiled it, and logo I like it. Week. It looks pretty good. Oh, I like it too. Unlike the new DC logo, it looks like it's uh, you know a logo for a comic book company. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like it. It's very slickly designed. Yeah, just like the DC one, but it's got a little more personality, and I really enjoy it. Nice job, Oni. Now it's time to enter the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll stare deep into the light of the seven sons of Cinnabus. I almost said Cinnabon. I love their cinnamon rolls. Until the blinding rays reveal to us the secrets of next week's comics. Joe, what's the sacred light of Cinnabon revealed for you to read next week? My pick for next week... Winter Soldier number one by Ed Brubaker and Butch Geis. I am really excited for. I notice he's back to Butch. <laughs> what is well, that? Well, I wrote Butch. I thought he was two different guys. It's the same, same guy. Jackson Butch Geis. I'm just very excited for Ed Brubaker to get back to telling more stories with Bucky. Yeah, man. And I felt that's what. He, he had a really strong run with the character, and when Bucky left the book, Captain America got weaker for it. I agree. And I'm just very, very excited this to see where stuff. the story goes really good stuff. Matt, what is your pick? I'm excited for Sweet Tooth, number 30, by Jeff Lemire, but I'll tell you what, and I'm only going to say this once. If he kills the little pig girl, not only am I out... But I'm going to come looking for him. All right, Lemire. Oh, man. You listen to the show. Watch the f*** out. And you know he does. <laughs> and as always, nerds, let us know what you're going to be reading next week. Now it's time to slip into our skin-tight officer's onesies and join the rest of the crew on the bridge where we'll sit in our captain's chair and the metal armrest will clamp around our thighs. I just in time, so cool. <laughs> just in time for us to give the order to send this podcast to Warp Factor 15. That's not a thing. We looked up Warp on Wikipedia the other day. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Uh, in attempt to slingshot around the Earth and back in time to save the dolphins washing up on the shore in Cape Cod while we review ten comics in this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Who's the saddest damn thing in the world oh, this week? Ludicrous Speed, go! Transformers, Robots in Disguise, number one. Uh, just as solid as more than meets the eye, IDW is totally nailing the Transformers with both these series. This one follows Bumblebee and those who stayed on Cybertron. Great sociopolitical drama going on here in the aftermath of a million-year war. I can't believe loved I it. loved the Transformers. I loved it. Key of Z, number four. On paper, this sounds like the worst. I should have hated it. A comic book about a guy with a magic harmonica that wrangles zombies written by the Coheed and Gabriel Lee Singer. I know. No. However... This has been a really fun series, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. It had great art, and it was just fun. Buy it. Grim Fairy Tales Alice in Wonderland number one. Okay, first of all, props to Xenoscope for reading out to us and being cooler than a lot of the companies we've contacted to try and help us. That said, this was not good. This was more Xenoscope cheesecake retelling the Alice in Wonderland story. It Maybe it's just not geared to me. I don't know, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that she goes from being Alice's little girl to Alice in a push-up bra with lingerie on. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sorry. I, it loses something there. Leave it. Justice League, number five. I really loved Aquaman, number five, and I was really mad at Justice League, number five. Yes, you were. Uh, 
You tweeted all huffy puffy about I it. I did. Hal Jordan running around going, I got this. I got this. Is that all you got, Dark Side? <laughs> it's not all I got, Dark Side. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it made me mad. The art was rushed and sloppy. This should be DC's flagship book. It needs to be better. Skim it. Wow. Secret Avengers 21.1. This is Rick Remender's first Secret Avengers issue where we're introducing Hawkeye into the group as the new leader, I guess, from what it looks yeah, like. Man. And Patrick Zercher is great as always, although it, there were right. there were some parts where it kind of looked like they were flying. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really get. But uh, this was fun. I like the back and forth between Cap and Hawkeye. I like how they kind of have this sort of terse relationship. Giving it a buy, and I'm looking forward to Remender's run on My this. My main takeaway is that I think Remender's going to be good on this book. I do, too. Stuff of Legend, Adjuster's Tale, number four. Oh, this wraps up the current volume, and it was just gut-wrenching. I highly recommend you all seek it out. The guys at Third World are doing great, great, great work on this series, and they're super nice guys to boot. Strongest possible buy it. Infestation 2, number one. Uh, super surprised to see Dwayne Swierzynski's name on the writing duties yeah. here. Messina's art is always good, but there was a surprising amount of cheesecake here as well. Yeah, the vampire busty. That wasn't even that. Like they went and met the like like the secret librarian girl from Oblivion or whatever the group was, and she's like falling out of her top too. It's just kind of ridiculous. I don't care about the CDO. I don't care about Artilica. And suddenly infestation is switched from zombies to Lovecraftian elder gods. I don't care. Leave it. I like I like this plot better than the zombie plot, but still, yeah, we are. Six gun number eight. Teen. Six gun number eighteen. <laughs> the start of another new story arc by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt. I love this comic, Supernatural Western. It's super great. Bill John the Mud Man is in it. I freaking love that guy. <laughs> Buy it. Conan, Phoenix on the Sword, number one. King Conan, Phoenix King on Conan. the Sword. This continues Truman's stories of aging Conan retelling his tales of the past to his royal scholar. Very high quality Giorello art. He, the guy is operating at like in like Hal Foster territory. It's absolutely gorgeous. This is very high quality Conan stuff for all you Conan fans out there. Buy it. Voodoo, Voodoo number five. Uh, this is Joshua Williamson's first issue taking over for Ron Mars. I could have sworn we had another one or two from Mars, but the transition was seamless. The issue was good. Uh, Sammy Bassery's great as always. I'm sticking with it. Buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round. And is the sound made by the post-relaunch Omega Beams that Darkseid shoots out of his eyes, as seen in this week's Justice League number five. Every month, right about this time, Matt and I like to prove we have a normal adult attention span by reviewing a full graphic novel as part of our Take a Look, It's in a Book initiative. This month was the biggest one we've read yet. Bigger even than Infinite Kung Fu. It almost killed Joe Patrick. And I only had three weeks to read it. <laughs> Craig Thompson's a BB. Here's your solicitation from the internationally acclaimed author of Blankets, A Triumph. For the genre, says the Library Journal. A highly anticipated new graphic novel sprawling across an epic landscape of deserts, harems, and modern industrial clutter. Habibi tells the tale of Dodola and Zam, refugee child slaves bound to each other by chance, by circumstance, and by the love that grows between them. That was a really nice way to tie it, like, tie it together, but it does not even touch Buy it. on what the happens <laughs> in this book. I was trying, after reading this, 
I was so blown away by what I experienced. Yeah, I'm still really mulling it over. I immediately texted Joe and went, how in the hell are we going to review this I book? I don't know. <laughs> it was, first of all, it clocking in at over 650 674 pages. 674 or five pages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this... I. And Thompson, he writes long stories. Blankets was a big book. Yeah, yeah. Carnet de Voyage was fairly short. Well, but, it was a travel journal. Right. But, uh, like, if you if you look back, all of his books ended up being way longer than they were originally and supposed to And I now understand why this took, like, six years for him to get out. Yep. This is not just the story of two refugees. He did an amazing amount of research into biblical history, into the Koran, into Middle Eastern calligraphy, because it is rife through this book it is amazing like he tells the story of not just these two characters but where their cultures came from and where our religious ideas came from and weaves them seamlessly into this like possibly futuristic sort of middle eastern world it's not no it's 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 relatively modern day it's fictional modern day i got the feeling like maybe it was like five to 15 years down the road why just due to the fact that there was so much pollution and like the the water was undrinkable and there was these weird kind of vehicles that like moving trash around and stuff. Sounds like you don't know much about the Middle East, buddy. <laughs> so Habibi tells the story of Dodala, a 12-year-old girl, and Zam, the three-year-old boy she kind of unofficially adopts after they escape from uh, slavers. The book depicts their the years of their lives spent together and apart and together again in this non-linear almost surreal fashion it's not almost surreal it's totally surreal it's completely surreal uh but it all fits together seamlessly for the most part at the beginning there were some times that i felt a bit lost in terms of the narrative flow but once i settled into the style that Thompson was using, I, I really kind of got into it. This is it. what Thompson does. He takes you on a ride. Yeah. And that's part of it. You need to figure out like how this roller coaster is going to work. But when you do, then you see the dips and rises coming. You just get swept away in it. I found myself reading hundreds of pages at a time. So, you know, as the story progresses, you've got both Dodala and Sam constantly escaping to their happier pasts. As they endure this, these soul-crushing indignities and hardships in the present-day lives, and also reliving their nightmares, the nightmares of their past uh, in their times of despair. Uh, visually speaking, this book is unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, the mosaics that he drew it, for each <sighs> chapter. I mean, and his attention to the calligraphy and yeah. stuff. I mean, like, he did not just draw a comic book. He did his homework. Yeah, yeah. This it, is incredible. Thompson is without question, without question, one of the most gifted draftsmen uh, working in comics today. Like working on Chris Ware level gifted, like amazing. Every page, every single page is loaded with insane detail and dripping with like visual metaphors. And even when the pages have nothing but text, it's intentional. There's a visual element at play even in the alignment of the text. Absolutely. No space is wasted. Every line is placed with intention. It's stunning. I can't say enough about the the visual aspect of the book. Not to mention the storytelling. And, and I mean, the way... This isn't just a love story between a, a boy and a girl growing up together. It is so much more than that. It gets into these really visceral, sexual themes of what it is to be a woman in the Middle East 
with this very kind of ancient man culture, you know, telling you that you are nothing and you're here to please men. She gets passed around as a prostitute and as a wife and a harem while Zam grows up. And he, there's one, there's a part where she's they've been living in a boat together and she's been going out and selling her body to get food and water for them to survive. And Zam follows her one day and sees her basically brutally raped. And in that moment, demonizes all the urges that he's having in him as a young boy watching her grow up, like staring at her while she's bathing and stuff. And he demonizes them so because much. Because they're both developing at right. the same time. He doesn't want to become these men that he sees around him using her because he loves her so much. He ends up like a eunuch later on at the book. Spoiler. <laughs> tra- yeah, trying to get rid of his own sexuality. And it is just gut-wrenching. And like coming up with a story like this, I mean, Craig Thompson is a white guy from Michigan. Well, <laughs> like, you know, we'll we'll get where to where did this come from? <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. It is amazing. For me, I struggled with the hyper-sexualized aspects of the book, not because I have a problem with that sort of content. I realize that Thompson isn't like glorifying rape or forced prostitution God, or anything not like at that. All. But choosing to show every single, every single sexual indignity and lustful thought visited upon these characters, it sometimes feels like he's reveling in it a little bit, even as he condemns it. See, I don't, th- I didn't get that at all. It just made it seem like the themes of sex and, and lust and the shame that can come with them are, uh, that they overshadowed the true point of the story, which in the end is love. See, I don't think so at all. I think it even, it reinforced the true point of the story that you don't that it is not about lust it is not about sex there is a larger thing here and these characters had to overcome it together and, no, and they were constantly beaten down by it. i know that that's his point but i think he could have illustrated that point without showing it every single time See, i don't every know si- I, I mean 675 pages i thought it, it just it worked so well to the lead up to the conclusion i don't want to give anything away but the moment where we see these characters overcome this. Everything that had happened before, I thought it was all a very natural step. And it was. There was some stuff that was really hard to read. It was. It was a struggle. And perhaps that's part of what I'm feeling, is is that it was genuinely uncomfortable. And I think that's the illustration of why he's good at what he does. And and that's not to say it's a deal-breaker or that I didn't ultimately love the book, because it it does all serve the whole... Whether or not, you know, he overdoes it a little is just something that can be discussed. Now, I have read some criticisms about Thompson's portrayal of certain Middle Eastern stereotypes, but to me, it seemed like the only caricatures in the book were those people that deserved to, to be uh, that deserved to be mocked, right, and loathed, right, like rapists and rapists thieves, and you know the sultans, the, with the palace harems, guards, yeah. yeah. Uh, every other character in the book is portrayed with reverence and affection, and without getting into and, too many and like spoilers. Perfect innocence, too. Yeah. I mean. Well, like without getting into too many spoilers, later in the book where they meet that fisherman. Yeah. I like by the end of that chapter, I was really sad. Yeah. I was really sad uh, for this character, and so everybody that deserves to be loved, who he wants us to care for. It worked. I cared for all of these people, even if they were only in the book for a short time. Right. All right. Let's get to the nuts and bolts. <laughs> all of this said, it with its extremely, extremely graphic nature and difficult themes, it's kind of hard to recommend this book to everyone. Yeah, this is not 
one for everybody. So I'm giving Habibi a skim it, not because I didn't love it. I loved it. But because you really need to take a look and judge for yourself. It was, without a doubt, one of the most stunning and compelling books that I have read in a very, very long time. I'm giving this a buy it. And I'm and this there's a reason why I said it was the best graphic novel that came out last year. This is one of the most important stories that I feel like I've ever read in graphic novel form. Craig Thompson is a master. This is a masterful book. I cannot say enough about it. I mean, there were parts of this where I was almost in tears. This yeah. is an amazing book, and I cannot say enough about beautiful. it. Beautiful. Even if it does bother you, even if it is hard for you to read, fight through it because it is absolutely worth it. Huge buy it for me. As always, we want to know what you thought of Habibi, so shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com and tell us what you thought of the book next month for a change of pace. <sighs> Thank we'll, God. We'll be reading Jim Rugg and Brian Maruka's Aphrodisiac. I'm already done with it. <laughs> well, that's good news, buddy. <laughs> If you guys want to read along, we encourage you to do so. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Boosh! That's it for the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast this week. Next week is our big first birthday show, episode number 52, featuring a live Q&A session with all those who come to our birthday party next Friday at Legend Coffee. Check out our Facebook page and my wife's invite at the end of this show for more info. And remember to subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a star rating or write us a little something, folks. Just a little note why you love the THN. Huge, huge thanks to everyone that's donated to the show this far. And if you'd like to keep us in adult funny books, you can donate in person next Friday at our birthday bash. Or make your donation in any amount by clicking on our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can beg for reading suggestions from the comic pushers or challenge our comic nerd trivia skills for Ask a Nerd. And you can send us your entry for the ongoing THN mascot contest. And if that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, Nick Fury, do it matter if he black or white? <laughs> Ask yourself, <laughs> does the skin color make that much of a difference? Do we need a black Nick Fury running around the regular Marvel U? Are you going to feel lost after watching the Avengers movie? We want to know what you guys think. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Brian and Brian, our new Twitter buddies who reported that they dig our show so much they do their own Sanctum Sanctorum picks each week. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Sanctum Sanctorum haters. <laughs> Word to you, Brian with an I and Brian with a Y. And until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. We have Sanctum Sanctorum haters? Yeah, there were people that were like, It's too quiet. Why is it? I can't hear it. Jerks. It was really my fault. I wasn't turning it up enough. Hey, listen, nerds, this is Matt's wife, Casey Baum, inviting you to a very special evening with the Two-Headed Nerd. On Friday, February 3rd, myself and loyal listen nerd Jim Heavey will be throwing a Two-Headed Nerd one-year anniversary party at Legend Coffee on 5207 Leavenworth Street in Omaha, Nebraska. The party starts at 9.30 p.m. and will feature nerdy tunes, a special Two-Headed Nerd cocktail, and other beverages, snacks, possibly cupcakes, and a special live Q&A with the two-headed nerds themselves, Joe and Matt. Come help celebrate one year of Joe and Matt slaving over a show that doesn't make them any money. 
Friday, February 3rd at Legend Coffee and watch for more info on the Two-Headed Nerds Facebook page. I shouldn't have to tell you who I am, but I'm going to tell you one thing. They pay me a lot of money to wish you a happy birthday, and you better have a good birthday and save me some cake. Because if I got to find you to get some cake, they're going to make me mad. And you know my saying, I pity the fool. Now get out of here and have a good time.